Good morning, everyone. Happy Saturday to all those that are listening to this on Saturday and to those that are going to listen to this later on. May you have a blessed day as well. Listen, I'm so excited. God has allowed us to see a brand new month, May. And so my prayer for everyone that's listening to this is simple. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God shine his face upon you. May God give you peace. May God hear your prayers. May God answer your prayers. May God continue to work on you. May God continue to work through you. And may God continue to show himself strong and mighty in your life. That's my prayer. Simple. Call it my May prayer because it's the month of May. So that's what God gave me. But I thank you for listening and I thank you for taking the time to tune in to today's podcast episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the topic, God's answer to the problem of sin. How many of us know that sin is definitely a problem? It's definitely a problem. But hey, we serve a God who has all the answers. Why? Because he is the answer. So we'll talk about that today. So we're talking about God's answer to the problem of sin. And we're going to be coming from the book of Romans, um, the fifth chapter, verses six through ten. Again, that's Romans chapter five, verses six through ten. And Romans 5, 6 through 10 reads, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So in this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul is explaining the nature of God's love toward us. See, God loved us when we were still without strength and when we were ungodly. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And I heard it said that we often focus on the fact that, yes, God did send Jesus to die for us. But what we don't pay equal attention to is this, that he not only sent his son Jesus to die for us, but he also sent him to die as us. You see, that's an important point that we have to always remember, that that should have been us hanging up there on that cross. That should have been us being whipped in our side. That should have been us being pierced in our side. That should have been us being beaten having the crown of thorns placed on our head, hanging up there by nails. But Jesus not only died for us, he also died as us. He took our place. And that is what Paul is explaining here in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. See, he's letting us know that God loves us just the way we are, but 
get this, his love for us is too much and too powerful and too strong to leave us the way that we are. Mm. Do you get that? God loves us just the way we are. But his love for us is also so strong and so powerful that it won't leave us the way that we are. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that looks like this. God loves us when we're broken, but his love is too powerful and too strong to leave us broken. God loves us while we don't love him, but also his love for us is so strong and so powerful that it won't allow us to stay in a place where we don't love him. God loves us and his love for us is so strong. Like even when we are not thinking about him, that he won't leave us in a place where we're not thinking about him. He will cause us to think more about him and cause us to want to know more about him. See, God loved us even when we are helpless ungodly, even when we could be and work considered enemies. And if he loved us then, how much more will he love us now that we are his children? Hmm. See, by his blood and through the death of his son, we have been justified. That means that we've been declared righteous and we've been reconciled. That means that our state of being alienated from God has been lifted. And now instead of being alienated from him, we have access to him through Jesus Christ. So then we are no longer enemies. We're no longer his enemies. Now we can be at peace with God. And we can be saved. That's the key that the enemy doesn't want us to understand we can be saved. We can be saved. See, many people take these verses and, and they think that they apply to uh, a final salvation from the presence of sin. But in this context, what Paul was talking about, he was discussing being saved from the power of sin. You don't have to, let me tell you, you do not have to wait until you die. Okay? To be free. You do not have to wait until you die to be free. I want us to understand that because the enemy will say you have to wait until you die to truly be free. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We're talking about God's answer to the problem of sin. So when it talks about wrath, it's God's present wrath and his life is the life of Christ in believers. See the life of Christ in believers, meaning that we have to carry Christ. We have to carry Christ wherever we go and whatever we do, we have to carry him. We have to represent him. We have to reflect him. The point is this, that since God has so much love, for us. And since God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bring us justification, then as a result of that love for us, we should also have love for God. 
But in order to have this, we must fully cooperate with the process of dying to our sins and living as instruments of righteousness. See, a lot of times, this is what many people think. They think that they have to wait to accept Christ's offer of salvation until after they have improved themselves in some kind of way. You often hear it said like this, well, I'll get saved when I stop doing this. I'll, I'll give my life to God when I stop smoking, for example, or I'll, I'll give my life, I'll get my life right when I stop drinking, or I'll get my life right when I stop whatever, whatever the excuse is. And that's what it, that's all it is, is an excuse and a lie of the enemy, because the enemy doesn't want you to understand the value and the importance of being saved right now. He wants you to prolong your salvation. He wants you to prolong being saved because he doesn't want you to understand the very importance of living saved and being bought and being redeemed. He doesn't want you to understand that. And so this morning, as I was praying, God really had me praying that we would realize, especially with all of this going on with COVID-19 and so much stuff is happening in this world around us. He had me praying that we would realize this, that we cannot be both the potter and the clay. Some of us are going throughout life trying to be the potter. And we're trying to be the clay. And the Bible is very clear in Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. You can go read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. The Bible is very clear in this, that God is the potter and we are the clay. We can't be both potter and clay. God is always the potter and we are always the clay. What does that mean? It means this. There are things about us that we know we need to fix and we can do our part to fix them. But there are also things about us that we're not aware need to be fixed because to us, they don't seem like an issue. But to God, God looks at it. and He says, I have to work in that area. I have to work you in that area because I got to perfect you in that area. See, he showed it to me like this and had me praying, praying it like this this morning. The, the clay is a lump. It's just a lump that sits there. To some, it looks worthless. To some, it looks valueless. To some, they're just like, that's just a lump of clay. Right. But when God looks at the lump of clay and, and, and in this in this, we are the lump of clay. Some people look at us and they see us as just nothing. Some people look at us and they see us as if we have no value. But when Jesus looks at the lump of clay sitting there on the potter's wheel, what he doesn't see a lump of clay. He doesn't see a worthless pile of clay. What he sees is what's inside the clay. He looks at the clay and he says, you know what? This will be a beautiful vase. This is going to this is going to be a beautiful vase that's going to be able to hold my anointing. This is going to be a beautiful vessel that's going to be able to hold the power that I'm going to bestow upon them. This is going to be a beautiful vessel 
that's going to be able to hold my word. And they're not and, and they're not going to have any cracks because I'm going to make sure that in any rough places are smoothed out. I'm going to make sure that it, it, any place where there may be cracks, I'm going to fill in the cracks to make sure that when I pour into them, I, they'll be able to handle what I'm pouring into them and that they'll be able to pour out when it's time to pour out because of what I've poured into them. See, God looks at that clay, that lump of clay that's sitting on the potter's wheel. And he says, I know I see flaws in the clay right now. I know I see some issues in the clay right now. I know I see some places of imp- where the clay needs some improvement, but I'm willing to invest my time. I'm willing to invest my energy. I'm willing to invest my all into making sure that this lump of clay is molded and fashioned into the image and the likeness that I have in store for it. So when we try to be the potter and we try to be the clay, (laughs) we mess ourselves up. We mess ourselves up because we don't know the image and the likeness that God has in store for us. Only he knows. Only he's able to look deep within us and see, you know, I know that they look valueless and they don't look valuable right now, but I'm looking beyond that lump of clay that's sitting there. And I have a plan for this lump of clay. So I always remember this, God is the potter and we are the clay in his hands. He shapes us. He makes us. He molds us and not we ourselves. So again, many people think that they have to wait to accept Christ's offer of salvation until they have improved something about themselves. And then they're like, oh, well, then when I when I stop doing this, I'll get saved. When I stop doing that, I'll, I'll give my life to God. When I stop going here and I stop listening to this and I stop watching that, then I will start living right. But that's actually the opposite of the gospel's message. Because here's the main, here's, here's the thing. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all unworthy of salvation. Let's just make that clear. It don't matter how long a person has been saved. It don't matter if they're the preacher. It don't matter how many tongues they speak in. It don't matter how how much shouting and dancing that they do. It does not matter. All of us are unworthy of salvation. There is nothing that we could ever do in our own merit to gain God's forgiveness and acceptance. Okay, let's make that clear. However, Jesus came And he bridged the gap that was between us and God. He is the mediator between us and God. What does that mean? That means this. All of us, all of us, all of us have been given equal access to God, our father, through Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I am the door to the sheepfold. You got to enter in through me because any other way, any other way that you enter in, you're like a thief and a robber. 
See, if we try to get to God by any other way, except through Jesus Christ, it's as if we're coming in as a thief and as a robber because Jesus Christ came and bridged that gap that our, that our sin separated us from God because sin cannot stand in God's presence. He won't allow it. But Jesus came and he mediated between us. It's kind of like this. Have you ever been in a situation where two of your best friends got into an argument, right? And this friend over here was going off at the mouth, saying saying what she's going to do to your other friend. Your other friend heard what, this, what friend A said, so friend B is now yapping out at the mouth, talking about what he going to do and what she going to do if they ever run into each other and you're stuck right there in the middle, right? And you see that there is a division. You see that there is a separation and you see that there really shouldn't be one, right? Because you understand that what they're arguing about and what they are fussing about and what's separating them is just doing nothing but bringing causing division and chaos. So you step in as a mediator and you don't choose sides. That's the key. You don't choose sides. You let friend A know where they're right and where they're wrong. You let friend B know where they're right and where they're wrong. And you let them see that what they're arguing about, what they're being separated about really is no, shouldn't be that big of an issue. Well, that's kind of like what Jesus did for us and God. Because the Bible says all of us were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So right from the very beginning, when we came into this earth, when we came into this world, we were born in sin. But God's plan to redeem us had to have came through Jesus Christ. There would have been no other way for it to have happened. Because the Bible is clear that the wages of sin is death. Get this. But the gift of God is everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. And how did we get that everlasting life? By God sending his son, Jesus, to not only die for us, but to die as us. Because uh, here, here, we just said the wages of sin is death. And earlier I said, all of us were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So if that, if, if that's the case, that means that the, that from the time we were born in sin, we had a death sentence that by the time we stepped into this world, we had a death sentence looming over us because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What was the gift of God? Him sending his son, Jesus. So he not only died for us, my God, he died as us. He took on the death punishment that loomed over our head from the time we were born. Jesus, somebody get that. Somebody get that. He, Jesus, came. And even when he came, there was a death sentence looming over his head. Right? Right? 
If you read back and you study his birth, you read and you study his birth, there was a death sentence over Jesus's head. They did not want him to be born. The king did not want him to be born. So Jesus came with a death sentence looming over his head. We came with a death sentence looming over our head. But get this, our death would not have been God's answer to the problem of sin because sin would have still continued even after we died. So Jesus had to die in our place because that was God's answer to the problem of sin. Wow. So get this, get this, get this. Jesus came and he bridged the gap of sin that separated us and God. Now, here's the thing. We did not deserve this. We did not deserve this. We don't deserve his love, but we're worthy of it. Y'all have to forgive me, but that thing right there, that got me. We do not deserve God's love, but he counts us worthy of it. Worthy enough, get this, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We didn't deserve his act of love. God did it on his own, motivated by his un failing grace and his unfailing love for us. The song says, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. And that is so true. Even when we fail, even when we give up, even when we run out and run away from God, his love never fails, never gives up and never runs out on us. So with all of this said, I have to I have to let you know it would be tragic to think that we had to make ourselves more presentable when we go to God. He wants us to come to him naked and unashamed. He wants us to come to him with the mask off. He wants us to come to him and learn how to be vulnerable in his presence. I even hear him I even hear it like this. For some of us We've never known how to be vulnerable in God's presence. So in this time of quarantine and in this time where he has us to ourselves, he's teaching us how to be broken before him that we would be made whole. He's teaching us how to trust him enough to be vulnerable in his presence. But then there are some of us who know how to be vulnerable in his presence. We just haven't been vulnerable in his presence for a long time. And so he's bringing us back to that place of vulnerability. He's bringing us back to that place of being broken before him. Because when we're broken before him, he will put us back together. See, that's what I love about God. He won't leave us broken. He won't leave us broken. He will put us back together. and He knows how to put us back together again. Man will leave you broken. Man will leave you in pieces. Man will walk away and leave you in your vulnerability, but God won't. 
He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Being broken in God's presence, being vulnerable in God's presence is such a powerful thing. And I, I feel it even right now as I'm speaking that there are some of you that God is saying, I just want you to be vulnerable again. I just want you to be broken before me again. You've allowed life to break you. You've allowed your circumstances to break you. You've allowed situations and pain and trauma that you've been through in your past to break you, but you won't allow me to break you. And I'm the only one that when I break you can put you back together again, says God. So be vulnerable in my presence. Be broken in my presence. Mm. Wow. It's an error. It's a tragic error. Error when when we say y'all have to forgive me. I'm just getting ooh, I'm getting caught up in in this because I feel it so strong. It's a vulnerable error when we think to ourselves that we have to make ourselves more presentable in order for God to accept us, in order for God to love us, without first depending on Christ to enter into our life. That's another thing God had me praying for this morning that we would begin to invite him in again. Some of us, like like with the vulnerability thing, some of us have never invited him in. And so he's saying, I'm knocking at your, I'm, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I, all I want you to do is let me in. He's so, he's such a gentleman. He won't just barge in. <laughs> He'll wait until we invite him in. But then there again, there are some of us that have invited him in in times past, but we've allowed life and we've allowed circumstances. We've allowed this COVID-19 to cause us to say, you know what? I'm not inviting nobody in. I'm quarantining from from everybody, even God. And he says, no, invite me in. Invite me in again. See, Jesus didn't say Go clean yourselves up, then come to me. He didn't say, go get some rest and then come to me. Uh-uh. He's opened his arms. And even right now, he's saying, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just sit in that for a moment. He's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Life has made you weary. Circumstances have made you weary. COVID-19 has made you weary. The negativity that you see on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter has made you weary. Friends that have turned their backs on you have made you weary. Family that has forsaken you has made you weary. Leadership that has let you down has made you weary. Your finances are making you weary. That situation on your job has made you weary. But God is saying, come to me when you're weary. Don't wait. Ah, God, I hear it. He said, don't wait till you think that you got it all together to come to me. 
Don't wait till you think that you're past whatever you're going through to come to me. Don't wait until you think that now, I, now I think I'm, I think I, I think I'm past that. Now I can come to him. No, he says, come to me when you're weary. Come to me when you're vulnerable. Come to me when you're heavy laden, when the weight and the pressure of life and the weight and the pressure of this world and the the weight and the pressure of your assignment is weighing down on you. He says, that's when I want you to come to me because that's when I will give you rest. That's why he says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Mm. I'm about to close with this. Jesus didn't wait until we deserved him. He knew that we never could. Instead, he gave himself freely for all mankind and even extended to us an invitation just as we are to come to him and to find rest. Listen, don't wait until you have quote unquote improved yourself to come to him. Come to him as you are. He loves you as you are, but his love for you is too strong, too powerful to leave you as you are. He, he will love the hurt away. He will love the pain away. He will love the bitterness away. He will love the unforgiveness away. He will love the trust issues away. He will love the trauma away. He will love the confusion away. He will love the turmoil away. He will love the mental anguish away. He will love your heart issues away. He will love it away because that's how powerful his love is. But you've got to come to him because he won't barge in. He makes himself available. As I said earlier in this podcast, all of us have equal access to him. That's why Jesus came and he's the mediator between us and God. But we've got to come to him. We've got to open up and allow him in. And when we do that, I guarantee you this. We will find that we are so much better than when we first came. We'll find that we're so much stronger than when we first came. So much wiser than when we first came. And that's what God wants us to be. Better, stronger, wiser. Marvin Sapp sings the song, never would have made it. When you look back over your life and you think about what you've been through, how many of us can say, I never would have made it without God. I would have lost it all. But now I see how you were there for me. And he says, I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I'm better. Not only better, but much better. I made it through the storms in my test because he was there to carry to carry me through my mess. So what's God's answer to the problem of sin? His son, Jesus. How do we have access to God? Through his son, Jesus. What do we need to do? Be vulnerable in his presence and allow him in. So I want to do something a little bit different with this podcast. Um, 
I heard this from somewhere and I really loved it. It's called the Hallelujah Declaration. And I just want to share it with you all because, I don't know, I just feel led by God to, to share it with you. And this is something that I recorded. I recorded myself saying this and I listen to it every day, you know, during my prayer time, during my meditation time. It just puts me in the right headspace for the day. So I just want to share it with you. Here it goes. Hallelujah. I'm so glad not only to be here, I'm glad to be alive. Hallelujah. I do not know from one day to the next. It is not promised to me. So I must make the most of every day. When I make it through a day, instead of complaining, I just have to say hallelujah. Because someone got up this morning and will not be here tomorrow. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad for prayers. I'm so glad for years of support, love, and trust. I do not take it for granted. All I can say is hallelujah. It did not have to be like that. Do you know how many people did not make it to be here today? Hallelujah that I have been through some stuff, but I made it through. Hallelujah, that when they thought I was down, when they thought I was out, I am still here to say, hallelujah. Hallelujah, it's just a word of praise to say, hey, I am here another day to do it a little better, a little faster, a little slower, a little cleaner. Hallelujah. That is for another chance, another day, another opportunity, another blessing, another lesson, another moment just to say, I love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is one of the most ancient words to praise the Lord, our creator. I must be able to praise and say, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I say hallelujah because I am walking, I am talking, I am breathing, I am growing, I am learning, and I am not making the same mistakes that I made yesterday. I may make some new mistakes, but I am not going to make those mistakes anymore. I'm not going to do it that way because I have another chance. So instead of saying why, instead of complaining, instead of wondering, I'm just going to say, hallelujah. It did not take me out. Hallelujah. It did not take me down. Hallelujah. It scared me a little, but I made it through the fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. It was hard, but I thank you I made it through. It was difficult, but thank goodness I am here to start all over again. When something left my life that I thought I had to have. Hallelujah. It was hard and I hadn't I had to depend on something bigger 
stronger and more powerful than I. But hallelujah, hallelujah is a form of praise and gratitude for the healing, for the growing, for the change. Hallelujah. For those who are still here, hallelujah. For those who are not, hallelujah. I am so grateful for this right now moment. I do not know what the next moment will be, but for this moment right here, when I can see you, feel you, and touch you, I just say, hallelujah. I am not alone. I do not have to do this by myself. Even when it gets hard and rough, hallelujah. I have not messed up so badly that I do not have this day to make it right. Hallelujah. I have recovered. I have been released. I've had to do some time. I've lost everything. But right now, you are touching me with your love. And for that, all I can say is, hallelujah. <laughs>